I spent most of Christmas Eve in an airplane. Um, they say that Christmas Eve is one of the quietest days for travel in the United States, but it didn't feel like it yesterday evening. Um, <clears throat> so after having been in three airports um, and sitting in that great place, which is Chicago O'Hare, I got to thinking. Um, everywhere we looked were the paraphernalia of quasi-secular commercial Christmas. There were trees and garlands and inflatable Santas, some where the motor had sort of seemed to go off a bit and they were starting to limp over slightly, um, which was a bit grim. Um, but normally it felt really just like an ordinary night. I reckon that just about every Christmas Eve for the last 20 years, I've spent it in the choir stalls, either singing or serving midnight mass. When we were kids and the whole family would descend upon my grandparents' house, um, there was always a moment, a few hours into dinner, where my brother and I would get the high sign, and that was to tell us that it was time to go and that we were to be packed off to church. And so I remember walking out and making our speedy exit, walking into the pitch black woods around my grandparents' house, getting into the car, driving with that growing sense of anticipation. And then once you're in the nave, the candles are lit and the carols begin, and it's like no other place in the world. But of course, if you're in Chicago O'Hare, it's just another Saturday. Extraordinary how completely unremarkable the nativity of our Lord can be. Extraordinary how completely unremarkable the nativity of our Lord was. Two ordinary, unremarkable people in an ordinary, unremarkable place. Poor, simple, unnoticed, cold. A young mother, her husband, stuck out in the wind and in the rain, reduced to camping out in a stable amidst the livestock. Except that Mary is carrying the incarnate word, the Son of God. I was reading some old sermons this past week for a paper um, about something seemingly completely different, about the national church ideal and the foundation of Washington National Cathedral. Um, but on the page and shimmering behind it was John's gospel from today. The Christian faith is an historical faith, these long lost bishops wrote, because it relies on historical truths, not the belief that there was some good man named Jesus, that he said a great many good things and that he espoused some noble ideas, not the belief that he was a good moral exemplar, someone that we'd all do well to follow. It's a much more specific claim. It's an improbable claim, a preposterous claim, a claim that even the earliest church fathers would say was well nigh impossible, except, as Luke tells us, through God, nothing is impossible. This is the claim that God, that divine force that willed into being the heavens and the earth and all that therein is, came down to earth to dwell amongst us. Not in the form of some emperor or potentate, but in an infant. In a poor boy, born to ordinary, unremarkable people, in an ordinary, unremarkable place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. What we heard today is something that's oftentimes referred to as the last gospel, even though, of course, it's the beginning of the Gospel of John. And it's the last gospel because for centuries um, before the Reformation, this was read at the end of Eucharist every Sunday. And that's a peculiarly English thing, actually, that comes out of the English church, that after all the fanfare and the panoplies of the Mass, the last thing that the priest says at the altar is this gospel, because it's one of the things that reminds us every time that we celebrate the Eucharist of the central nature of the Incarnation. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. There are few words in the Christian faith more important than these. The incarnation is what links us to God, for God humbles himself to be born of a human being. Who is Mary? This teenaged girl trudging through the countryside out in the cold on a long road home. It was one of the great victories of the early church to insist that Mary was not just the bearer of Christ, what we'd call in Greek the Christotokos, but rather the bearer of God, the Theotokos. Lying in a manger is not just some future moral exemplar. Lying in the manger is the Son of God, who is God, the Word that has been with God since the very beginning of all things. And now, thrust into existence, a tiny infant, the Savior of the world. All the best Advent hymns, I think, are really Lenten hymns. None, perhaps, more than Bruce Blunt's and Peter Warlock's Bethlehem Down, which some of you may have heard. And it goes like this. When he is king, we will give him the king's gifts, myrrh for its sweetness and gold for a crown. Beautiful robes, said the young girl to Joseph, fair with her firstborn on Bethlehem Down. Bethlehem Down is full of the starlight, winds for the spices and stars for the gold. Mary for sleep and for lullaby music, songs of a shepherd by Bethlehem Fold. When he is king, they will clothe him in grave sheets, myrrh for embalming and wood for a crown. He that lies now in the soft arms of Mary sleeping so lightly by Bethlehem down. Here he has peace, and a short while for dreaming, close-huddled oxen to keep him from cold, Mary for love and for lullaby music, songs of a shepherd by Bethlehem fold. In the fullness of time, Christ will give himself up to death on a cross, the redemption of the world. But today, he sleeps in a manger, a child like any other, the word made flesh, come to dwell among us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.